Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these, your faithful, gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Researcher and storyteller Brene Brown, as she researched the idea of belonging, found that many people are experiencing a sense of spiritual disconnection. That is, a diminishing sense of shared humanity. According to Brown, people deeply desire to be a part of something and to experience real connection with others, but not at the cost of their authenticity, freedom, and power. So those things live in tension, don't they? Belonging and also keeping our individuality. Brown laments the loss of spirit, saying, yes, we are different. We are different in many ways. But under it all, we are deeply connected. And on this World Communion Sunday, I just have to ask, are we deeply connected as Brene Brown hopes and speaks of? In the Gospel of Matthew today, I want to remind you of where the story is. Jesus has shared with the disciples three times now, and right before this meal begins, one of those times, that he will suffer and die, and oh, by the way, unusual things are happening. Just prior to what we heard read today, an unnamed woman with an alabaster jaw jar of costly ointment has anointed his head with oil and Jesus has told them that she alone has prepared him for his burial. And now, in the midst of their holiest of meals, this is their holiest of meals, Jesus has told them that someone among them is going to betray him. And as the meal nears its end, Jesus does something that is also shocking, almost sacrilegious. He changes the script of the meal. Now, you know, you know what kind of consternation that can cause in a church or in a group of holy people who've gathered for their most holy meal? I mean, I remember one year when I was at Friends Congregational Church in College Station, uh, they practice the Eucharist by having two cups, a cup with wine and a cup with grape juice, right? And it was such that the cup with wine was the blue chalice and the cup with grape juice was the gray chalice. And one Sunday morning I got there and the table was set and Sue Ambrose came running up to me all in a dither saying, oh my God, they've messed it up. The wine is in the gray cup and the juice is in the blue cup and and it was as if the sky was falling and I looked at her and I said Sue it's okay it's okay that it got switched out we'll tell people ahead of time 
We'll make sure that people that can't have the wine know where the grape juice is and people that want the wine know where the wine is. But you would have thought we had committed a sacrilege. Similarly, I read an article this week about uh, a uh, person who became a new pastor at a church and one of their leading people came in and made an appointment and sat down and said, we've had a pastor for 25 years and he just didn't like the prayer of confession so we haven't done that for 25 years. And the pastor smiled and nodded and that next Sunday there was a prayer of confession in the, in the service. Well, that just caused all kind of uproar. Sacrilegious! We haven't done this for 25 years. But the truth is, when that pastor finally got called to a new pastorate, that same person came in to the new pastor and said, you can change anything you want except the prayer of confession. It has to stay. So, you know, people have very strong feelings about what happens at their holiest of times in worship and at the table. Well, in short, the followers of Jesus on this evening are confused, they're fearful, their anxiety is rising, and that is not at all how we come to this table today, is it? They are filled with consternation about what is going on and not knowing what the future holds. They realize that the very earth under their feet is shifting. Life is changing. It is changing quickly, and they're not ready for it. And equally challenging, by the way, is the situation of the Apostle Paul, in which he finds himself. He's imprisoned by Roman authorities. It's not the first time, but it may well be the last time. His people, his followers, are being persecuted, as is he. He is likely sensing that his death is imminent. In short, Paul's circumstances are dire. But it is under these circumstances, in the midst of frightened disciples with Jesus, or what we hear Paul say is, make my joy complete. These are the circumstances. It's dire for all of them. And yet, Paul is saying, Make my joy complete. Our circumstances are dire. The earth is literally shifting under our feet as well. Climate change, disappearing species, floods, fires, earthquakes, storms, you know. And the Dallas Morning News for now several weeks has been running articles about the fentanyl crisis in North Texas. It seems that there has been such an increase of death by, for young people with fentanyl that it is in epidemic proportions, striking fear into the heart of every parent. And a very near catastrophe yesterday for the funding of our government and predictions of losing our democracy, that funding of our government strikes right here in our own church where we have people who are working for the government and would have lost their jobs, been put on furlough, or not had to come to work and not be paid. The decline of the church is also 
in our understanding. Diana Butler Bass, writing recently in her blog, she wrote about the Holy Trinity, which she called the Trinity of church, school, and libraries. She talked about how different her life would have been without them. She writes about being sad in this autumn season, reflecting on how these institutions have changed over time and are declining. But her greatest grief is that today's churches, schools, and libraries are under assault by religious and political fundamentalists seeking to un undo the reciprocity and trust trustworthiness and replace them with authoritarian power and propaganda. You know all this, don't you? I mean, just think back about it for a minute. You remember your grade school? You remember the, your church growing up, if you grew up in a church? You remember going to the public library and checking out so many books you couldn't even carry them home? And then your parents just hoping they could find all of them to return in time? And we are left to ask, where is the joy, right? Where, how can we ever rediscover the joy in these circumstances. Years ago, I read an article about a man whose father-in-law was uh, diagnosed with a, uh, a disease with no, uh, no, sol no solution. And uh, his uh, prognosis was very short. The, the young man was distraught because this, this elder man had become his mentor had become his friend, had become his guide, and here he was getting ready to lose him. And once he died, the young man went to his bedroom and found his Bible and picked it up, and when he opened it, it fell open to the Psalms. And there he found that verse after verse had been underlined and notes made in the margin reflecting his joy of life and of the future, his joy at encountering God. This is what he found. In, and so in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his having to die and be, be separated from his family and friends and from this great and beautiful earth, he found, he found joy. Consider the Apostle Paul. Instead of dwelling in his suffering, Paul offers a set of instructions for healthy relationships for community. He doesn't talk about that he's in prison, I'm in prison here and I'm suffering and blah, 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 blah. He instead talks about, let's talk about what healthy community relationships look like. You know, um, and so Paul urges his hearers, including us, by the way, toward an intense, intimate kind of unity. Make my joy complete, he says, by being like-minded, by having the same mind that was in Jesus Christ. Now, that can make us shudder a little, I think. I mean, to be of one mind. I mean, we could be a little bit worried of groupthink and of falling into uh, a bubble, right, which is happening today very much. The Greek text, however, rendered here, be of one mind, could be more translated more accurately as think 
the same thing, and, and yet it goes deeper. Paul is actually using the Greek word there as he does in other parts of this letter, which refer to having the same thought of another's well-being. Can you imagine? It's not about us all you know, becoming autonom- automatons and thinking alike and nodding and saying yes to everything. It's about having a deep concern for the well-being of others. Paul uses this word to communicate how deeply he cares for these people. He thinks about them this way, all of them, all of the time. And he holds them in his heart. He doesn't expect all people to think alike, but he does want us to have thoughts of one another and hopes we are able to talk through our tensions and recognize our connections in Christ. Well, y'all probably even have... Y'all probably even haven't ever heard of this. But there's a Bible out now that is a translation from our indigenous siblings. It's called the First Nations version of the Bible. And this is the translation of Paul's text from that text. As you walk the road with the chosen one, have you gained from him courage for the journey? Found comfort in his love and shared in the spirit? Has his tenderness and mercy captured your heart? If so, then have the same kinds of thoughts. Love with one heart. Isn't that beautiful? The kind of spirit Paul writes in is a spirit that acknowledges all of our many differences and does not downplay or deny them. And yet he still wants us to think of one another with care and base our interactions on a deep sense of interconnectedness. I dare say Brene Brown is channeling the Apostle Paul. In a community like this, we can be grounded in Christ's love and fellowship, rooted in Christ's examples of how we might live. Well, I told you, St. Francis is our patron saint. And he has some lessons for us that I think we can practice in the week ahead as we come to his his feast day and as people who follow in the way of Jesus as he did and try to be so faithful as he was. So on today or any day this week, bless some animals. You got a dog or a few cats. If you've got four cats and two dogs, (laughs) which is what we have, bless them. If you've got fish, bless them. If you've got reptiles, bless them. And if you don't have any of that, go for a walk and bless the birds of the air, as Francis did. And find other animals to bless. I mean, do some little blessing things all week long. And the other thing we might pay attention to is the idea of biodiversity. You know, we're losing all kinds of species. They estimate that 50 to 100 species in our world are lost each year. Now, that's bad news. But if we read books like Caroline Fraser's book, Rewilding the World, we will find ways, and people even now are finding ways 
to save the diversity. You know those people that went out and, and um, scuba dived and they brought the coral back and they put them in safe places in the water where they could survive the, the heat, you know, of our oceans, right? That's happening. That's the good news. So go out and uh, get yourself some bees. Okay, well, if you don't want to have a beehive, you, you can plant some flowers that attract bees. Uh, you know, make sure you put out some seed for the birds. Or, you know, plant some flowers that will bloom in the fall. So I, I just, and then the last thing Francis teaches us is he looked at the Bible and read it as a script for his life. He believed that it sh the words of scripture should be a script for his life. In fact, uh, one passage in particular where Jesus teaches you, you don't take any bag with you, you know, you, you just, you don't take anything, you just go out into the world and you care for God's people. Well, he took that so seriously that he gave away everything he had. And that was his script. Well, let me tell you, uh, you know, when I was struggling uh, with my call to ordain ministry, I went to church one Sunday and the pastor preached on Jonah. And you know how Jonah didn't want to go where God wanted him to go and kept running away. And I thought, oh, my God, that's me. Joe, Jonah. You know, uh, I, that's me. I got to do something about this. And it became my script, you know. And, uh, you know, another time I went to, when I was in College Station, I, I went to a, a funeral of a faithful Lutheran uh, layperson that I knew. It was a beautiful service. In the Lutheran church, when young people are confirmed, they're given a scripture, a guiding scripture. And at that service, they read his scripture from when he had been confirmed. And the whole funeral sermon circled around that scripture and how he had lived into it. His whole life had become a following, a, a script of that scripture. These are the ways we find joy. Amen. This morning I checked and discovered that today, October 1st, 2023, there are 8, 8 billion, 63 million 937,900 people in the world. And that number was just going up and up and up and up and up. And yes, in the midst of so many lives, there is suffering. But in that suffering, it is possible to discover profound and an ever-deepening joy. In fact, I would go so far to say that it is in that suffering that we actually discover what joy is. I believe that when Jesus fell on the ground at Gethsemane after he had left that meal and prayed for God's will, not his, he got up and it all the fear and, and, and anxiety fell away. Anybody who's a part of an LGBTQ plus life or culture or friends or family knows what that feels like to step up and say, this is who I am. This is who I love. This is how I'm going to be in the world. And to feel that 
anxiety fall away and know the deep and profound joy of being set free with that truth. Today we celebrate a common communion table with people all over the world. Through Jesus we are brought together and no matter how we got here, the host of this table makes our joy complete. By being people of the communion table, we have something in common with millions, billions of people across the planet. People who speak different languages, live completely different lives, eat different food, and have different ideas about who Jesus is and what it means to be Christian and what it means to come to this table. Even with people whom we vehemently disagree or communities from which we have separated historically in the past or in this present moment, we still have this table. We share this common table, more or less, of what it means to feast together as the body of Christ, breaking open our lives and drink, drinking deeply of the new covenant. And it's healthy, even joyful, to remember we have things in common with people we cannot understand, even people who anger and disgust us. Because recognizing that we have something in common is the first step in healing the wounds that separate us from others. So today on World Communion Sunday, the primary message is, is that we share things in common throughout history and across continents. The holiness and meaning of this feast, we have the same mind with Christians who lived thousands of years ago, and we remain connected to those who will come after us who are yet to be born. God is at work in us through this table across time and space. This is the good news for us today on this World Communion Sunday. Thanks be to God, hallelujah, and amen. Amen. amen.